Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. All right, let's get this show on the road. Here we go now. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. And joining us today, folks, we've got a good one. Please welcome David Wolf, the CEO of BSW Wealth Partners. David, my friend, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. So, David, you were telling me earlier you were just casually hiking around in the Alps. Is that is that accurate? What were you doing over there? Oh, I just got back a couple of days ago, two nights ago from France. I was in France for a climbing trip with my wife, who is an international mountain guide, and then a couple of our friends, her friends, uh, two of whom were longtime uh, professional climbers on the on the World Cup circuit. So it was a very fun trip to explore the the loads of fantastic limestone high-end sport climbing in France and to be able to do that with some pretty exceptional uh, folks who greased the skids on us going to the right spots and being on the right routes and it was wonderful. And David, for the, the layman out there in the world, how did you get into to climbing and how, like how often, how many of these trips a year are you going on? Well, I'm from Iowa originally. Somebody had to be. <laughs> and there is not a lot of rock climbing to be had in 
Iowa. There's not a lot of mountains or skiing to be had in Iowa. So I got to Colorado as quickly as I could. I had always been inspired by the mountains and stories of the mountains. Um, there's a long tradition of mountaineering literature that I enjoyed reading as a young guy. And that motivated me to get out here. I met my wife uh, in Colorado. As the, I was actually introduced to her by a colleague of mine from business school who now lives in Islamabad, of all places. And our first trip together was to Ecuador, where we climbed six or seven different volcanoes in Ecuador. There's more high altitude mountaineering. And that sealed the deal. Uh, so my wife continued to pursue it, and she became the 12th American woman to become an international uh, mountain guide. Uh, she's the first Japanese woman to ever reach that status. So I'm in very good hands when I get out exploring in the mountains, whether that's rock climbing or backcountry skiing or uh, climbing big peaks. Um, it's a it's a great source of joy for me to be able to do that with uh, my best friend in the world who happens to be my wife and happens to be one of the best in the world at doing it. So that's the long and short of how I got to France more recently. Yeah, I mean, at least one person is accomplished in the family, right? Um, you know, David, it's, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of parallels with, with climbing and life in general, whether it's climbing uh, or life or, or investing or, or, or growing a business. When you're preparing for this climb, what are some of the things that you need to think about before you start your trek? Well, I think you and I talked about this a little bit a couple of days ago in the sense of the parallels between some of the work that I do and some of the work that my colleagues at BSW do on behalf of our clients and the parallels with both climbing and mountain guiding and being in the mountains more generally. Um, when we work with clients, I think that it's very similar to the work that mountain guides do with their clients in the sense that um, we are an investment and asset management firm. And so we are effectively always trying to make good decisions in conditions of uncertainty. Doesn't have to be a perfect decision, but if you can stack up enough good decisions in conditions of real uncertainty, then you can have a good outcome. Uh, so how does that trend over to what we were just doing in France. I think what I was just doing in France that parallels is that a lot of times when you're trying things at your limit, the first time you get after it, it just feels impossible. It feels completely out of your span of reach. And we have a phrase that you can learn things down. So something that might be really at your limit you give it that first attempt and it feels impossible. And then you start to see subtleties emerge or different sequences emerge or different approaches emerge. And what felt impossible now feels slightly less 
than impossible. And through that iterative process, you can get to a place where you can execute and it might be still really at your limit, but if you execute based upon all the knowledge that you've gained and you do it with, uh, you're detached from the outcome and you do it with determination and confidence that you might be able to pull something off that previously you didn't really think was possible. So I think that there's a really great process that people go through in terms of trying to get to that unattainable goal, that unattainable goal that seems so out of reach. And it's that incremental approach of iterating to a better solution that ultimately gets them to a place where they can send, they can do it. And we see that with our clients uh, over and over and over again. You know, the lives that they really aspire to that seem to be kind of a pipe dream, but if you can iterate your way to it, uh, those incremental steps, you can turn that pipe dream into a reality. Interesting. You know, like investing, there's different styles, philosophies of ascending a mountain as well. How does, like, what is BSW's style of investing? What, how, how, did, how does your organization go about helping your clients uh, achieve and ascend and really take that step? Okay, I, I, that, that's a great question, Kevin. I mean, I, here, there's, the, there's a great parallel with that in that when a mountain guide is working with a client in the mountains, there are really three things that determine the outcome. There's the client, the weather, and the route. And the most important thing is going to be the client, right? Knowing that client's capabilities, knowing their limitations, knowing um, what they've done, what got them there, um, the authentic relationship that you have built with that person. The weather is constantly changing, right? But experienced guides can look for windows. They know which routes can be done even in bad weather. Um, and the route is the plan. So the route is where a guide's expertise really comes to the top. Uh, there are some guides that specialize in one certain thing. I mean, there's even a Swiss mountain guide that I'm aware of who has climbed the Matterhorn more than 300 times. It's like the, the king of the Matterhorn. And then there are other guides that have a, a broad breadth of capabilities, especially in the ski guiding realm or heli ski guiding realm. And the parallels that we find with how BSW operates is, again, we put clients first, knowing what their capabilities are, knowing what their limitations are, knowing what uh, their psychographic makeup, building that deep, authentic relationship, that trust. You can easily imagine that the weather in our domain is really what our market conditions, where are opportunities, 
because that's always changing. It's always dynamic. And then our advisors are my advisory colleagues because I'm not an advisor and I'm really in awe of what our advisory colleagues do. They are able to articulate a plan that is specific to that particular client. Hmm. It's specific to their unique goals and objectives and makeup. I mean, sometimes you'll see in the in the media that, um, hey, the oldest person to ever climb Everest has done it. Or you see that, hey, the youngest person to ever climb 514 or 515 has just done something like this. Those are two radically different clients and they need different plans, right? Those are two radically different um, manifestations of something that's kind of similar. So developing that perfect plan, that's where the guide or the advisor really is showing their expertise, that they can pick the right route for the right client in the right conditions. And then they can have those transformative experiences. And I really do think that the mountains provide a transformative experience to people. And what we do is similar in that we bring a transformative experience to people's lives. You know, it really allows them to live the lives that they have always aspired to. And it's not unlike what you and I just talked about that. It's that, that dream life that always seemed out of reach, but through that authentic relationship and over the years of working together, iterating together, that's what gets someone to be able to go climb the Matterhorn. That's what gets someone to be able to go and climb a 513 route is that, they have iterated and built in incremental steps to that ultimate objective, right? So I think I always find these parallels to be fun, particularly because I love, I get a lot of energy from going into the mountains and it brings it, I try, it brings it, it brings that energy back with me to what I see working with my colleagues and clients. Well, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a great metaphor and I guess parallel because you know, life's full of ups and downs and, and staying consistent. If you can continue and have durability, you can continue to move and ascend and grow, but you will fall, right? You will fall. But if you continue to go and go and go, you'll continue to rise. I like your analogy of the, of like the Sherpa or the, the, the guide to really help the customer. Like from, from the clients that you've worked with or your organization has worked with over the years, what makes a good client? What makes a good climber? What makes a great client for us is um, someone who is in some ways um, living within their means but aspiring to more transcendent things. So I think there's been a lot of research out there that has shown that experiences rather than stuff is what we remember, mm -hmm. right? Experiences are what creates the quality of life that we all want, much more so than stuff. And the experience element that we see with our uh, clients is that there are things that they want to do. And if we can 
help grease the skids on them doing those things, providing them with the financial resources, the financial security, the confidence to go and do those things because somebody is minding the store. You know, like we have our hands on the wheel so that they don't necessarily need their hands on the wheel day in and day out. They can focus on their highest and best use. And so that would be building their company, that would be philanthropy, that would be uh, maybe just going out and doing the things that they've always wanted to do with their lives. Um, so I think that having those aspirational goals really helps. Um, I think that, it, I know that there have been uh, some commentators have said that um, people just oftentimes have pretty impotent goals. You know, if you go up and ask someone, what's your goal or what are your goals? Are they going to be able to articulate those? And are they big, hairy, and audacious enough to really motivate them to get them out of bed? Mm. So we will help, uh, we will help our clients articulate what those big, hairy, audacious goals are that they have for their lives. And then you work backwards. Okay, well, what do I need to do to accomplish this big, hairy, audacious goal? Uh, what does my financial life need to look like? And I think that the parallel there is identical to what really great mountain guides do with their clients. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really want to climb. Um, I, want, I, I want to climb El Cap. Okay, well, you don't go out and just like roll into the Yosemite parking lot and say, hey, first climb ever, I'm going to go up El Cap. Instead, it's, hey, the big, hairy, audacious goal, I want to climb El Cap, or I want to climb El Cap in a day. Okay, well, what do you need to do? Let's work backwards to make that a reality. So I think that uh, great clients for us and great climbers have a vision of a big, hairy, audacious goal that they want. But then the crux is always, can they translate that big, hairy, audacious goal into the incremental steps that they need to actually do it? Right, because it it doesn't start with the end objective. Um, somebody wants to go out and climb Mount Everest. If that's their first experience in the mountains, I mean, they can pay the money and sign up on a trip. But if, if somebody would actually ever allow them on the trip, is that going to be a good outcome? No way. It's going to be a disaster. But if if they put that out there as a goal and they were working with a really experienced and competent guide, someone who could say, okay, you wanna do that? Let's start with X. And if we can do X, you're gonna get some learning. And to your point, there's gonna be durability. Then we're gonna move on to Y, then we're gonna move on to Z, and you're gonna build up to that, um, that end objective. So I think that there are similarities. You, you know, I, I get this, right? And it's the same thing with surfing. Like, you know, when you, when you first start out surfing, like you're absolutely terrible, especially if you're six foot four and have never been on a board in your life, right? <laughs> and, you know, I think doing it for, for a year or two, I finally said, you know what? I need, <laughs> I need help, right? I need help to go surf that big wave if that's the ultimate goal. And getting a surf coach was incredibly helpful for me just to fix the little things, 
the little things that make such a big difference. However, here's my question to you, David. How much of this is also risk-taking? Because if you want to climb El Capitan, especially if you're from Iowa, you know, you, you need to start and continue at least do some scary mountains to get up there to get that confidence. What what is your kind of philosophy on on taking risks? How do you how do you go about that? Well, in the mountains, there is no there's no such thing as safe, right? Like safety is an illusion. And I think that that's similar when you think about uh, building companies or investing generally. Um, there is no such thing as safe, but you can introduce things that make it safer, right? Uh, at the end of the day, the name of the game is always to stay in the game. So sometimes you're going to make the summit. Sometimes you're going to turn around. But there again, like durability is the key to success. Uh, there are no summits if you don't make it down. So how do I think about risk? How do we think about risk? There is, uh, if you have a superior knowledge of terrain and weather, and if you have that deep, authentic relationship with a client, and they have those years of experience together, then you can, re you can reduce the risk. You can't totally eliminate it, but you can reduce it. So classic example of this would be a uh, great financial crisis. Um, in 2008, 2009, mortgage-backed securities that were ostensibly AAA rated were decimated in value or maybe went to zero. Okay? So those were ostensibly risk-free assets. But we know that um, in hindsight, that there was underlying risk that only uh, very well-educated or uh, insightful people were able to really spot and articulate to others, okay? So you see it even today. Um, people who owned 10-year treasury bonds at the end of 2021 have seen interest rates rise dramatically and as interest rates rise, the value of those bonds that they held at the end of 2021 have gone down. And those are US government treasuries. Those are ostensibly risk-free assets, right? So there's always risk and you can't eliminate it entirely. If you eliminate it entirely, there would be no return. Mm -hmm. If you wanna eliminate the risk of uh, the danger of going up El Cap or being in the mountains entirely, best solution is stay at home. But if you stay at home, you're never going to get that transcendent experience. Right. right. right? So that's where I think um, good judgment comes from experience and, and experience comes from bad judgment. So you got to get out there. You got to make some mistakes. Um, it helps to work with someone who you can learn from their mistakes as well. And that's one of the things that we talk about internally within the firm is you always want to make original mistakes, right? And I, I think that that's great when I see my advisory colleagues sharing their experiences of working with other 
clients where I see climbing partners and friends of mine sharing uh, what we call near misses. There's always a guides briefing at the end of the day. And one of the things we talk about is near miss. When was I most at risk today? Or what was an unanticipated risk that was dangerous? And hopefully by that open sharing of ideas and communication, you can learn from others in the sense of you're not going to, you're going to make original mistakes, Hmm. right? Um, I think that that's a a great lesson takeaway, both from the mountains and from working in investment environments. Let's stay on the topic of mistakes, but I want to switch the lens to now leadership, running an organization. You're not just an investor. You're also running an organization full of individuals that are complex and you've ascended. Now you're at this level. Did a little research before this data. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Please do. There's three kinds of falls in climbing. There's a screamer, which is a long fall where the vocals of someone is ajar. It's, it's out, they're screaming. There's a whipper, which is you scream and then you get caught by your anchor. And then there's a crater. And I think we can all imagine what that means when the climber hits the ground. In terms of your pitfalls in your career, the original mistakes that you've made, tell me about a crater when you've hit the bottom. Uh, the, cra- the, the most recent or, or the best example of a crater for me that I'm still learning from today came up in our impact collaborative session earlier this week. We talked about it, that a lot of us ascend to roles in organizations because we are uniquely technically competent, or we have a unique set of attributes or tenacity that allows us to uh, demonstrate and add value in a certain domain. And it, and it may even come easy for us to do that in those specific areas. But then as your role changes, the high performance in that role also changes. Um, performing at an exceptional level in a leadership role is very different than performing at an exceptional level in whatever role you held prior to that. So the role that you held prior to that might be, it might be a layup for you, but that's not the job. And so the place where I have cratered was not recognizing in the past that my role as CEO is to build and strengthen and deepen authentic relationships with my constituents. And my constituents are my partners, uh, our shareholders, our employees. That's the job. And that's what the focus needs to be on. 
And we all, as human beings, we like easy things. We like things that are easy for us. So it's very easy to fall back on doing the things that, again, might be a layup for you. Um, even though the real work is to do the thing that is hard. That's where you get that transcendent experience. You know, climbing El Cap or climbing um, a big mountain is transcendent because it's hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be transcendent. Mm. Mm -hmm. So doing those hard things, um, that's been a place where in the past, I definitely cratered. I didn't put enough value on building those authentic, deep uh, relationships. And as I've learned, especially from my colleagues in the Impact Collaborative, it's been such a great resource to chat with other people who are in a similar role and to share the challenge of how we go about that and to hear the struggles that they've had to try and do that as well. And it, again, I come back from those impact collaborative sessions with more energy because, hey, we're all in this together. Um, someone has struggled with it. They've shared how they've struggled with it. They've shared some solutions or tactics or techniques that they've taken. And it's really helped me to change my approach, change my focus, to be on those highest and best use items. So that's the ascendance from coming out of the crater. <laughs> no, David, you, I mean, appreciate you're always plug. crawling out of the crater. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you've, you've you appreciate the plug. I mean, you've been an, an exemplary member of the collaborative, um, but I think you're right. You know, I think a, a lot of the things that you talk about, you know, you're, this is real. You know, you're not just saying this just for the podcast. This is how, we interact in our groups and you always have this kind of you know what you go back to you know i'm i'm out here i'm doing the things i'm not supposed to be doing and here's what i go back to now david your firm is an impact oriented firm impact investing firm what is the anchor that you all rely upon to make sure that you're not just investing but you're investing to, as you put it to transform lives I really think that everyone is an investor because how you choose to allocate your time and your talent and your money, um, those are effectively investment decisions, right? What you choose to buy, uh, what you choose to focus your time on. And most people want to live a great life. And so they're concerned with the return on their investments of time, talent, energy, and they're concerned with the totality of it, not just one element of it. So you won't find many people, certainly you won't find many people, and there's a self-selection self component to this. You won't find many people that we work with who want to meet their financial objectives, but do it in a way that violates their values. Hmm. You won't find people who would say, yeah, I'll take that trade-off. 
meet all of my financial goals, but we'll destroy the environment uh, in order to do that, or we will have these negative consequences to society in order to do that. Most of the time, they want the totality of it. They're concerned with the aggregate return as well. So the anchor for us is helping people articulate what their values are, making sure that they know that it is entirely reasonable and rational to want their investments to reflect and to support, not just reflect, but reflect and support their values um, and to do it in a way that they can feel proud of how they have um, how they have put to work the investment capital that they are so fortunate to have. Mm-hmm. Because when you really zoom out, we are we're all very lucky to live in the places that we live. You know, I mean, look at me. Like I'm a I live in Boulder, Colorado. I'm a white man. I'm named David. There are more CEOs in the S&P 500 who are named David than there are women CEOs, right? Like I was born on third base and you have to take that into account and be grateful for it, but it should also have an influence on how you choose to act in the world, right? Uh, Be grateful for it. Do the right thing. I think it's, uh, was it Uncle Ben from Spider-Man who said, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a, that's a good piece of wisdom there. And I think that the clients that we work with, and especially our advisors, who again are just so talented at helping people unpack and articulate their own personal journey and the values that fall out of that personal journey so that they can build a plan that adheres to those values and supports those values and honors those values. Because at the end of the day, if the plan does that, then you can stick to it. Mm. Right. And sticking to it is that's, that's the secret sauce. Can you stick to it through chaotic conditions? Can you stick to it when it looks like the sky is falling? Can you stick to it? when there's a global pandemic and everyone says that it's going to be a zombie apocalypse. Really? Because if you stuck to the plan, you did pretty well. And now we're seeing this in a little bit of redux in that, you know, markets around the world in terms of investment markets and inflation have really had a rough go in 2022. Are you going to stick to the plan? Because if you stick to the plan, I have a high degree of confidence that it will ultimately lead to success. The name of the game is to stay in the game. I love that's that. right. And name I of the game is stay in that. the game. I love that. From a macro level, the problems in the world are not going to change unless free market solutions and capital flow to those problems innovation gets unlocked and we can solve this thing collectively but it does start with the capital from a macro level david what does impact investors role in this whole thing to you impact investors are the ones who are looking 
out ahead to the horizon line, right? Impact investors recognize that the environmental social problems of today are also the investment opportunities of today and tomorrow. That whoever can bring creative, viable, sustainable solutions to these challenges and problems that we have right now, those are gonna be the companies that are the winners in the future. The companies who are factoring these things into their decision-making process today are the ones who are going to be more competitive in the future. Markets don't care about now. Markets always care about tomorrow. Hmm. Markets are always looking ahead to tomorrow. Why is it that investment markets bottom before recessions are called? Because the market already anticipated that the recession is coming and it's already looking a year out, two years out. So impact investors are similar in the sense that they are not anchored to the past, they're focused on the future. And they're focused on solutions to those most pressing problems because those companies and entrepreneurs and innovators who can iterate to those solutions, those unique solutions, those are gonna be the incredible uh, companies, incredible value creation stories of the next many, many decades. On the tail end of that, just riffing on that, what is to you, like what is the difference between long-term versus short-term to you? or far-sighted versus near-sighted? Putting an absolute definition on either of those two terms is tough. I'm gonna to put my own spin on it. Um, I think it's pretty hard for people to think about plans beyond say a three to five year time horizon. I think the three, inside of three years is short-term. Right inside of five years, kind of short term. But when you start getting out past five years, 10 years, 20 years, uh, 50 years, that's where people have a really difficult time conceptualizing what it's like. I mean, let's you and I go back, like Kevin, when you were 10. I, I mean, I, I have these kind of, my son is four. When I have these conversations with my son, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a zookeeper. I want to be an astronaut, right? I mean, these are great ideas, but he's only been alive for four years. So asking him to think about what he's going to be doing when he's 18, 19, 20, and beyond, it's just too, too much of an intellectual leap. And I think that that carries with us. That's why there's short-term recency bias in investment markets. Everybody wants to take what's happening today and project it out into the future. Um, you know, there was a time back in 2008, 2009, when oil broke $120 a barrel and everyone said, oil, it's going to be there forever. It's going to keep going up. And then lo and behold, we hit the pandemic and it was actually negative. Right? So everyone has a tendency to project uh, current reality into the future but I don't think that that's accurate. So I'd say inside of five is short-term. Once you get beyond five, certainly once you get beyond a 10, 
it's longer term. And you always want to make your decisions based upon with an eye towards short term, but focused on the long term. And for CEOs listening out there, maybe not a recommendation, but for, I'll switch up the question. Before you were at this level, how far out were you thinking? Now at this level, how far out are you thinking? Has anything changed? Yes. I want to think beyond the five-year for our firm. We as owners and shareholders are constantly thinking about the long-term uh, generational thinking is how we typically phrase it. So not necessarily what's the firm going to be for us, what's the firm going to be like for the next generation of owners and the generation that follows that next generation of owners. But from a tactical day-to-day -day basis, we have a five-year strategic plan because again, at that five-year level, that's where you can actually conceptualize, visualize what are the those incremental steps that we need to be taking to meet the 10-year, 20-year vision. So I think prior to taking on this role, that was um, perhaps I was just part of my wiring that I was always a little bit oriented more toward a longer term or a duality of thinking about longer term plans with a tactical lens. You know, what do you need? There again, it's very similar to what we discussed earlier in the conversation about how do you plan for a big mountain objective? Well, you put your eyes on the prize. What's the big, hairy, audacious goal? And then you work backwards. Right. And once you work backwards, you can get to those one, two-year, three-year incremental steps. So now that I'm in this chief executive officer role, a lot of it is leaning on my shareholder colleagues and my partners to better understand their vision. Because at the end of the day, my job is to help execute a collective vision on behalf of all of the owners. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Wolf, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I've learned a lot about not only climbing, but life and, and lessons of leadership. Let's bring this home. David, what is your definition of a real leader? Real leaders bring their authentic self. And in order to bring your authentic self, you got to start with self-compassion. And once you have self-compassion, and you accept all of the failings and challenges and mistakes that you've made, then that can allow you to have compassion for others. For Mr. David Wolf, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, have self-compassion, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, David. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Real Leaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration 
out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realtors.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.